0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad.
1: Because it's getting ready to be on. I want
0: my
2: whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath. That I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder Drew Gear. He likes to get in the ex's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger, my rollerblading blonde Mohawk producer, the pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about.
0: One would be hard-pressed to find two cities more opposite. Lifestyles more different.
1: Or a rivalry more intense. It's one of the best ones in the game right now. I think it definitely compares with the uh, Bears and, and the Packers and Uh, all the other rivalries uh we hate each other
0: (laughs) i think that's the bottom line hatred it's a very competitive fire you know Uh, a lot of our guys don't like some of their guys and a lot of their guys don't like us but you know it's just a competitive competitive game each time we play welcome
2: everybody to another edition of the rock Power report podcast i'm your host bill season ticket with drew gear that's our producer Chris Kruger. And this is your week three. Well, actually, that was from NBC Sports. From you the dug, 90s. I you dug,
3: dug deep. deep. I got it from Growing Up Buffalo's YouTube page or something they had from the 90s. Uh, I think it was like 91 or 92.
2: Andre Reed and Keith Jackson talking to NBC Sports about the Dolphins back in the 90s. Hey,
3: we're too, It's You got to play we're that. We're back, baby. We, we're, yeah, we got to play it. We're both 2-0.
2: This is our week three preview. The Buffalo Bills against the Miami Dolphins. The time, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard. The place, Hard Rock Stadium, done in South Beach, Florida. The weather is a 58% chance of rain, as of today. Low 80s with 10-mile-an-hour winds. That sounds terrible. I'm a sweaty dude. I can't do that. Buffalo is a a five-and-a-half-point favorite. And on the call, Kevin Harlan and Trent Green of CBS Sports. Chris, aren't they the C-Squad
3: yeah, because you got uh, Romo Nance as one and then Gumbel is two. So who else is playing that they stuck us with this? Um, well, we're the according to the coverage map that I saw I can go. I can pull it We're up the again. game. We're the second second most viewed game in the one o'clock slot on CBS. We're in. You know, all over New York, you're Buffalo, Rochester, Albany, Burlington, Vermont, and then we have a stranglehold on the southeast. I texted my mother. I'm like, you're getting the game locally. So we got the Atlanta market, Miami, Tampa, Panhandle. Eulberg's on the Panhandle. He gets that game locally. Okay. Uh, we're
2: how up. is this game? Who is who takes preeminence?
3: One the main one o'clock game is uh, Kansas City at Indianapolis. And then you know why that team's zero two, and they didn't score a point last and week. And because I'm who thought that
2: was <clears throat> going to be a good game.
3: Somebody's going to call me out for this on on Twitter because I mentioned Greg Gumbel being the B team. I'm wrong. It's Ian Eagle, Ian Eagle, and Charles Davis are the B team. They get Cincinnati and the Jets. They get the B.
2: The B announced. How team. did we not rank above <clears throat> that game? This is a fucking travesty. I mean, we we do rank. Above that game as
3: far as the, the markets are concerned. Sure, but in terms of the quality of announcer, like, that's disrespectful. I mean, Kevin Harlan's pretty good. He's pretty good at calling streakers.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Kevin Harlan streaker. Guys, go YouTube it. Kevin Harlan calling streakers. I think he just gets bored. And he's like, all right, well, I'm going to commentate on what I'm seeing. I'm not going to act like this isn't happening. Here's what I'll say. I'm going to... I'm going to take it as disrespect, and I hope Josh Allen does too. I hope Josh Allen, always looking for motivation. That's
3: isn't. almost like uh, Kevin Hart in, uh, <laughs> what, are the 40-year-old virgin?
2: When he walks in, he Watch goes. Watch your mouth. Watch your mouth. I'm taking he, it as goes, disrespect. You're using big words around me. <laughs> I don't understand what you said. Now, I'm going to take, take it as the, disrespect. Yes, that's exactly
3: how this is going. Watch your
2: mouth and make the sale. <laughs> 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 Injuries of note. The Miami Dolphins. Offensive tackle, Austin Jackson. Are you going to list every injury by both teams? Because they're both yeah, long. Yeah, <laughs> because we could be doing this for a hot minute. Uh, I'll just go over the ones of note. Austin Jackson, ir on Friday. You know him. He was responsible for getting Tua killed last time we played him. Yep. Cornerback Byron Jones. Put on pup at the beginning of the season. One of their highest paid defensive players. He will not be in uniform. Shane Tyndall, Hunter, Long, Seathan Carter. These guys are like all like Chris. Who, what? Yeah. Cedric Wilson. He was signed to play a premier role. Xavier Howard, question with a gro- questionable with a groin injury. That one to me is that's sizable, mm-hmm. and I know because I logged onto Twitter and I saw Dolphins fans going. Xavian, I'll donate my groin to you. And I was like, well, that sounds. There's jokes to be made here. But I'm an adult. So I'm going to turn away from that. For Buffalo, it's not much better. Uh, Mitch Morris, questionable with an elbow. Uh, Micah Hyde, questionable with a neck. Ed Oliver, Tim Settle, Jordan Phillips, defensive tackles, all questionable. Matt Milano, Dane Jackson, Gabe Davis. Chris, it really is. A shit show here for Buffalo, injury-wise, isn't it? Why don't we uh, go ahead and find out how that uh,
3: recovery facility is happening at uh, One
2: Bill's Drive. Yeah, I thought this was supposed to give us a leg up. Yeah, we'll see how they recover. Here's what I know when it comes to this game, and I'm happy you dug deep for that intro. Football has always been more fun when the AFC's rivalry was Bills and Dolphins, that's a known fact. It's yeah. almost undebatable. <clears throat> I'd, when I was in elementary school back in 1990, squish the fish days. People would come in and face paint. They encouraged kids everywhere to wear their Bills gear to school. Like, How often
3: do you think Bob Gutierrez got beat up as a kid <laughs> because of it?
2: Yeah, a lone Dolphins fan in Bill's country. He won. I remember being at a softball beer blast with him, and he won a Sammy Watkins jersey, and we made him give it back and re-raffle it off because we were like, he won it. And we, he was like, oh, this is cool. And I go, no, 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 you're a Dolphins fan. And we shamed him into giving it back to the Labatt Blue Light Girls so that they could re-raffle it off to a different fan who would appreciate it properly. Scumbag! You don't get to to pick them. Yeah, and then what? And then and then walk around in a jersey when it's comfortable for you on a Wednesday afternoon.
3: Yeah, no. I mean, those were the days because I remember we we would split the regular season most of the time. It was we go one and one, but then we always beat Miami in the playoffs when we had to play them.
2: As a child, what's your most vivid memory involving the Miami Dolphins?
3: Um, I would say it's it would be a it would be a bad highlight, but for whatever reason, I always can picture Lewis Oliver running down the sideline <laughs> for a hundred and three yard interception return in Buffalo. He had like. Cause, I, 'Cause they played it in when I was getting the audio for the opener, they played that interception return and he apparently he had three interceptions in the game on Kelly. Like that's I remember that so vividly.
2: I remember being sent to my grandmother's bedroom at my grandma's house during a Bills Dolphins game to go take a nap. I was seven years old and I just remember having this thought of laying in my grandma's bed going these guys better win. Like, I can't be down there to see it. They, they better do this thing, or I will be mad when I come back downstairs. And then the second one is me getting viscerally angry and crying. Because here's what happened. Brian Cox comes down the tunnel, flipping our fans off. And they make mention of it on the broadcast. They don't show it. Well, actually, yeah, it did kind of make cameras. They probably did. It was in the nineties when you can do things. But I remember hearing it and being like, wait, he can just flip our fans off. Why aren't they arresting him? And I looked at my dad and I was like, dad, they told me this was bad. You tell me this is bad. I don't understand why he's not in jail. And then they go on to beat us at home. And I remember laying in my like laying in my room, punching a pillow, just just hot tears, hot angry tears, going "Fuck you, Brian Cox." Now it wasn't until years later that I caught myself realizing why I was rooting against his son. I was like, "Why am I so anti the Carolina?" Oh, because Brian Cox Jr. is on the team, and then the Bills signed him, and I was like, "I swear to God, if he ever sees it, hey, his tenure's over, isn't it?" Yeah. Mission accomplished. And then the playoff matchups. To your point, Chris, our teams would go back and forth. We would see each other in the playoffs multiple times over the course of the 90s. That's the hallmark of a great rivalry, isn't it? Yeah,
3: it is. You got to go back and forth. Anybody that believed that Patriots-Bills was a rivalry, rivalry with Brady? Which no. butthurt. No.
2: They owned us. Yeah, at all times. Now that we're on the other side of it, I can say that. Like, they owned us. They owned the Dolphins. They owned everybody. That's That's what dynasties are. We were on the wrong side of one. So was everybody else. The only rivalry this division has known has been the Buffalo Bills and the Miami Dolphins. And so we just have all this history. And with the descent of the Patriots and the Jets' never-ending rebuild, it seems like it might finally be time for the Buffalo Bills and the Miami Dolphins to dust off the mantle, right? Of yeah. What was the great rivalry of our division's history? And reenact this again. Let's go. I can't
0: wait, Chris. It's It really does feel like it's time, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
2: And so here to talk to us about all of this stuff is a guy who's dated himself on our podcast before, who's so old that he remembers vividly all of those rivalry years, Mr. Elf Artiaga from Three Yards Per Carry, how are you, sir?
1: <laughs> uh, I'm doing I'm doing better than what Nick Wright and Colin Cowherd are doing mm. today, or oh, right, Chris Kenny, because Chris Kenny was was vehemently upset that he was called out today on his own show.
2: <clears throat> it's it's really funny now, folks. For those of you who don't listen, and I know who you are because I see the numbers. For those of you who do not listen to our AFC's Roundup podcast. Elf is something of a fan favorite. He comes over there to talk to us the Dolphins every week. He also has a Yardwork film review series, which I believe is currently in the works because the NFL fucked up all 22 again.
1: Oh, I dropped one. Uh, we actually dropped one oh, yesterday, what? but we had to make do with the garbage that the NFL gave us. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't use the telestrator because... Uh, well the NFL the way that they made the all 22 available this year it's almost impossible to use unless you know like if i could, if, if we could resurrect Liberace and put him in front of my computer then maybe i could use the the telestrator <laughs> but <laughs> it, it, you know since i'm not such a great piano player you know there's no way i could use the telestrator and stop and start this this abomination that the NFL has given us for 999 a month by the way
2: so This is where I want to start this conversation, is with Dolphins fans finding their swagger again. We were just regaling our listeners with our personal histories, the old Bills-Dolphins rivalries, and it occurred to me that since 1985, when I was born, I don't know that there's really been a true rivalry between two AFC East teams that lasted as long or was as entertaining as Bills-Dolphins. I mean, you guys have a crazy record against New England in Miami, but you guys weren't ever regularly challenging them for much of anything in terms of division standings. The jets have spent most of the two thousands as a relative non-factor I and mean, they've been 500 or worse 13, of the last 22 seasons and they haven't had a winning season since uptown funk got released. Okay. <laughs> the bills, our lack of quarterback play made us a non-factor for 20 years. We all know about that. Can we agree that Bills Dolphins is still the best rivalry over the last thirty some odd years in the AFC East.
1: Easily. And and it should be that way going forward. You know, not <clears> to <throat> get too too ahead of myself. I don't know if you had a question on this or not, but the Bills are a ready-made team that have already paid their quarterback. And the Dolphins are a young team with a very good cap situation going forward. And in my opinion, a pretty damn good roster already. So you gotta figure. They're going to start squeezing together <clears throat> for the next two, three years as far as talent, and this could be a situation where for the next four, five, six, ten years, they could be trading AFC's crowns. See,
2: now here you are. You're being complimentary. You're talking about, like, oh, there could be in this, At that. This. We're at the tailgate for Monday Night Football, and one of our listeners from Canada, Pat Cleary, he looks at me and goes, man, I had the perfect a tweet locked and loaded to send to Elf Artiaga during that Ravens game. And then the fucking second half happens and I had to delete it. And I start laughing because first of all, Petty is our brand, so obviously that's who our fan base is. Like, our audience is a bunch of Petty sons of bitches. But he followed that up by saying that he couldn't wait to hear Cocky Elf this week on the podcast. He goes, I know for a fact it's coming. So Two things. One, there's that saying about uh, you're nobody till somebody hates you. Like people, yeah. our listeners are like already looking forward to sending you tweets during these games now. So you've made it with the Buffalo Bills fans, uh, and also they're expecting you to stroll into this conversation doing the Jefferson Walk. Like,
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: I, I, first of all, you're you're entitled to it. How does it feel to be two and zero and on top of the AFC East?
1: Oh, it feels great! It feels great, but it'll be it'll feel better to, to be three and zero. You know, if they beat the Bills this Sunday, and that's a big if, and you know my position on that. Until they do it, I won't talk about it. <laughs> See, but if I- they do, then game on, rivalry on, and it's a race to the Super Bowl between these two teams. And I really do mean that. And it's all about injuries going forward. Then. So so so, in
2: the, so so in the aftermath of this one, the Miami Dolphins win this game, that's when you're gonna strut in here do, <laughs> doing a two step and we're gonna get to see Cocky Elf.
1: Well, yeah. If they beat the Bills on Sunday, then that's they they've done what I asked them to do. Uh, everybody was asking me, Oh, how good is this team? Can they win the Super Bowl? I said, Well, you know, they could catch, you know, one of those magic carpet rides that happen all the time. Nobody had the Bengals in the Super Bowl last year. No. Like, the, the Dolphins roster is good enough that it can catch a you know magic carpet ride. But in reality, if you want to be the man, you got to beat the man. I'm sorry. I'm just not fearful of any team in the in the NFL, really. Well, I'll tell you what. Bills. Yeah,
2: I was going to say, I'll tell you what. Your uh, Dolphins Twitter, man, we always joke about how hyperbolic they are. <sighs> you... you- <laughs> It's hilarious that you guys are still split as a franchise and, and a fan base. Like, <clears throat> you have the people who genuinely believe, like, that's it, Super Bowl, we're in, right? I'm, I'm going to write the check for the tickets now. And then you have the ones who are a little more dubious when it comes <laughs> to the skill set of your quarterback. So, it's just funny watching you guys go back and forth over this, trying to gain a sense of positivity for the first time in 10, 12 years. It would be a real shame if a quarterback with a 9-1 record against you guys already were to stroll in and just ruin all that positivity, wouldn't it?
1: Oh, of course it would. you know. But, you know, you still have, like our coach likes to say, we still have week four and we still have next season. We still have our cap space, so I really do believe that you know the squeeze has been on for a couple of years now, and this is as close as they've gotten in years. But this is their opportunity. This is Miami's opportunity. You want, you know, you want that path to the Super Bowl. You beat Buffalo, and then it's a race. And (laughs) I really do believe this. I'll uh, I'll repeat it again. Miami wins on Sunday. It's Miami and Buffalo, and one of those two will be the the representative in the afc of course you know
2: you do know chris is already making eyes at me you do know that he's going to clip that like that's going to be a drop that comes back to haunt everybody if this goes sideways oh
1: i can but i know what what kind of roster they got i know what i know what i know as my my partner podcast says chris kaufman he likes to say i know what i know i know what i know this is a pretty damn good roster.
2: Well, and that's what and, I want to talk about. Like that's the jumping-off point for this entire nuts and bolts conversation of what we're going to see on Sunday. I want to start with the defense because I look at your secondary and I'm not quite sure what I'm seeing or why. <clears throat> on paper, you guys should have the deepest, most effective defensive back room in the AFC, if not the entire NFL. They, given how much you guys have paid for them, I mean, they 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 should be right you would expect when you look at the money that they've allocated and how they've spent the draft capital that they've spent in pursuit of this room cornerback safety so it shocked me that of all people lamar jackson okay the the much maligned especially on this podcast lamar jackson was airing it out against your defense just and I guess the thing is, it's not just that he was throwing it. It's not like the, the number. I'm not just box score watching. I'm looking at these chunk plays, big, broken plays against this secondary. What gives? Like, what what happened here?
1: We tried to do the same thing we did last year, and it didn't work. <laughs> it really is as simple as that. Uh, out of the first 11 plays in the game, they went zero blitz 10 out of the first 11 plays. And for for your listeners that don't know what zero blitz means, it means blitzing everybody except the four that are in coverage. And he kept hitting hot route after hot route after hot route, and before we knew it, we looked up at the scoreboard and remember we had just give, we had given up a 103-yard kickoff return touchdown to start <coughs> the game. Mhm. Okay, but yeah. before we knew it, we looked up at the scoreboard and it was 21 to 7. <laughs> and and that was after all those blitzes. And you could chart it cuz we have and the blitzes just stopped. In the second half, they ran two zero blitzes looks. And on one of them, Xavier Howard dropped what would have been a walk-in pick six. I don't know if you saw that.
2: Oh, I did. No, I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, oh, Elf's probably yelling at a TV somewhere.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, you know, this is the case where there was this game being played all week where the Ravens and namely Lamar Jackson said that the Dolphins had embarrassed him last year by blitzing him. 36 times they used zero blitz 36 times against Lamar Jackson last year and he did nothing he did nothing against it and the Dolphins just kept sending blitz after blitz after blitz last year and then all week he had this little uncomfortable back and forth with Lamar Jackson saying we have a plan this time I bet they won't do it and then Josh Boyer say yeah we probably can't do it too much and then of course what do they do they start the game doing the exact same thing and credit to Lamar Jackson and, and Greg Roman. They had a plan, and if evidently their plan was to just hit everybody open over the middle and just run 70 yards with it over and over again.
2: I mean, I saw that uh, <clears throat> the touchdown pass, the 75-yarder to uh, uh, Bateman. I'm just like, what the hell is happening here? Like, So I, I see this, and then I start digging into the numbers. You've got guys like – because as you go down the depth chart, Nick Needham, Keon Crossan depth guys injured you know what i mean they're not byron jones being out does kind of throw a wrench in things because realistically you don't want nick needham and keon crossing seeing significant snaps on 10 targets they had just two incompletions they gave up 145 and a touchdown zavian howard gave up two touchdowns with no picks he did drop that one though that's why i'm I'm happy you mentioned that because he had one he still has ball skills He, he picks that this whole conversation is a little bit different He gives up two touchdowns. And then you look at the aftermath and you go, okay, statistically now, we're talking about you guys are 28th in the NFL in uh, opponent completion percentage, 71.2%, 23rd in passing yards per game, but you haven't really played a legitimate savant of a passer yet. Um, I mean, Chris, do we view Lamar Jackson as an elite quarterback? No. Uh, Chris likes to call Derek Carr elite. Is he, quote-unquote, Derek Carr elite?
1: (laughs) Uh, Lamar Jackson, in my opinion, is an elite football player. Oh, sure. He's an athlete. Everything he can do. In my my opinion, he's not a great great passer. He just isn't. So what are some of the
2: concepts and play types that you've watched this secondary struggle with? And where do you see the Bills or like the fan in you, when you look at this, the analyst, the fan, when you see this this matchup with the Bills coming and how we've been operating the last two weeks, where do you see matchups that might give the Dolphins problems?
1: I think Josh Boyer, uh, I think the media has painted him into a corner because he, got, he had the reputation of, at least last year, but we kind of know where that reputation came from, that he was being a little bit passive when they had the injuries because early in the year last year, They had both corners out. They had Byron Jones and Xavier Howard, and they had Xavier Howard playing injured in a couple of games, namely against Tampa Bay, where he should have not played at all, but they had him out there anyway. And Josh Boyer got the reputation of trying to save the health of his players by playing very, very conservatively. And then all of a sudden he just turns it on. They start blitzing like hell every single week, and they start winning games again. (laughs) So he started this year by – Essentially just blitzing on every single down. <laughs> and it's, it's odd to watch, but it's, it's, it's funny what it worked against Mac Jones because Mac Jones is Mac Jones, right? And against Lamar Jackson, they tried to implement the same exact game plan as last year and it just didn't work. And it was because they made a slight adjustment and the Dolphins couldn't, but things changed in the second half because they gave up uh, a total of 10 points in the second half, none through the air. Uh, they gave up the long touchdown run. But they made a nice little adjustment starting at halftime that seemed to have, you know, kind of put a damper on what Lamar Jackson's game was going to be because the the Ravens offense essentially was useless past halftime. And that's what allowed them to, to come back in that game.
2: Well, and that's it. So it's, when I'm thinking about this and I'm looking at the fact that the Buffalo Bills have yet to let in a second half point, like that's not that it it sounds like something I made up. Like, it sounds like something, it's, it sounds like something a crazy person would say. The Buffalo bills have not allowed a lot of second half point through two games this season. So meanwhile, I think their offense, because so obviously the, the, when you look at percentages and you try to look at the fine stats, everything's skewed in our direction because no one scored. So it seems like percentage wise, we're out, we're just blowing the doors off people. But in reality, that's what's happening is we continue to move the football Regard like one half to the next half, it, no team has been able to find a halftime adjustment for this Bills team. When you look at what's going on with your secondary right now, I mean, I, I expect Xavier Howard to play until I hear otherwise, just because I'm not that lucky. Like me personally, as a human being, I'm not lucky enough to catch this Dolphins team with no Byron Jones, no Xavier Howard. Um, so... When I look at this and I go, okay, they're probably going to put X over Diggs and try to keep it that way for most of the game. The Bills might try to scheme up some pre-snap stuff to get him some more favorable matchups. But elsewhere, when you go down the depth chart and you get into guys like Nick Needham and Keon Cross, and I'm looking at Dawson Knox. I'm looking at <clears> – <throat> I mean, I, I see where you guys gave up some – what uh, – Mark Andrews really got into you guys. Eric Rowe just got it handed to him. What, what do you think in terms of trying to match up with guys in the middle of the field like Dawson Knox and like Isaiah McKenzie? Because those are probably going to be the secondary weapons that we're turning to.
1: Well, they're going to have to make an adjustment that they already started on the sec- in the second half of the, of the Ravens game. Uh, they decided, and everybody was speculating down here in, in the media what they were going to do with Nick Needham in the starting lineup whether was he going to move to the outside or was he going to play in the slot Nick Needham's a very is is it's a very odd defensive back because usually when you think about slot guys you're thinking about those 5'10 190 pounds guys that play in the slot that are shifty Nick Needham is 6'2 205 pounds. so he it makes sense that he would be a boundary corner he's not he's a he's a good slot corner that's what he does best that's where he should be And they decided to play him on the perimeter. And, you know, it just, it just hasn't worked out. They made an adjustment in the second half of the Ravens game. Namely, they just started playing him in the slot alone and they played Kater Kohu on the outside. Kater Kohu is a really, really physical player. He's a guy they've been talking about for six months down here. And he's a guy that on our podcast, we were talking up like four or five months ago because you said his name
2: on our, you said his name on our show. And I thought that you like, I was like, did he sneeze? Did, what
1: well i was i was given i was given that name by coaches in April like right before the draft like this is a guy that they like that you know they're gonna talk to they're gonna try to get in as an undrafted free agent because he's <clears> from a small school sure enough they made him a priority free agent they signed him the day after the draft and all throughout camp there was times where they were holding him out in practices and And I was thinking, is this guy on the bubble? And I had coaches telling me that guys, there's no chance in hell he's on the bubble. That guy's on the team and he's playing. And then you watch him and yeah, he's, he's a physical guy. You know, he, he's one of the guys that could win one of those best body awards on, on a football team. Like, you know, he looks impressive. He looks the part and they played him in the second half. He's a guy who plays physical and all of a sudden there was some, there was. Nick Needham is just not a physical guy. Okay. So I would expect that they're going to do what they haven't done in a in a while, which is ask X to travel with Diggs and just take your chances there. And then, you know, try to play a little softer coverages everywhere else. And if Gabe Davis doesn't play, that, that obviously helps the, the Dolphins a lot.
2: Well, that's one of the big things is that Gabe Davis should be back for this game. And so I'm interested to see Kohu against him. But it sounds a lot like our own Christian Benford. You know, a six-round draft pick that everyone says, Who? Wait, what, what? Who's this kid? You're drafting an FCS kid and you're going to start him? What? And then you watch him, and he's physical against the run. He's shedding blocks at the line of scrimmage from offensive linemen and tackling Derrick Henry in the backfield. That's linebacker business, and he's down there doing the dirty work. At the same time, he's been solid in coverage for us. The, it sounds like, so it's not impossible to find these types of guys, but I'm interested to see what happens in a game like this where he's going to have to go up against a big physical wide receiver on the outside, a guy who can play that style of ball. <clears throat> One of the other things I noticed on defense, guys are tied for second in the NFL in third down conversions allowed per game. I'm talking teams like San Francisco, Tennessee, Cincy, Washington. Not exactly a who's who of can who's contending for a Super Bowl this year. What is it that you say they struggle with in those moments? And do you think the bills are equipped to exploit that?
1: Yeah, uh, I think that the bills, the bills are always equi- they're they're equipped to, to battle any or combat any kind of defense that anybody throws anywhere. If you're gonna put if you're gonna blitz them, uh, your quarterback is capable of throwing hot. He's capable of escaping and buying time, and that's a problem with your wide receivers, right? So yeah, he's perfectly equipped to do everything that you can. Against the defense. I think the key to competing against the Bills is to just try to get a turnover. You, you just got to try to play the turnover game. And if you got to play conservatively to, to react to passes and then try to get your hands on one, that's what you're going to have to do. And of course you're going to have to score. And I think that's part of, that's part of what the philosophy change has been around here in the last eight months. And I think it's a positive direction to making making this game a lot more competitive than it has been. Because I keep going back to that last game last year. Not the first game, because the first game was an absolute mess, where, you know, basically you you (laughs) lost a quarterback five snaps in.
2: Thanks a lot, Austin Jackson.
1: (laughs) You know, and then Austin Jackson was a disaster. And and by the way, uh, we have Greg Little playing right tackle, and he is playing great. I don't know if you saw the big uh, Chase Edmonds run, but he had a great block on the perimeter. So, you know, it's different. It, the the disposition is different. And I keep going back to that second game last year where you, you know, the defense seemed to have a plan. And the plan was be as vanilla and and as basic as you can be and just react, just tackle. And it actually worked for about 3 quarters. But the offense was absolutely anemic. And you <laughs> I can't remember. be anemic you oh. can't be anemic for four quarters.
2: I remember being there. I remember being there and being like, "Holy shit, they're actually in field goal range!" And then immediately, I think it was a Mike Gesicki fumble.
1: Yeah, for whatever <laughs> reason, we decided to do a direct snap to Mike Gesicki <laughs> on third and one. But you know, that was our our regime last well, year. Well, I was going to was... say,
2: let me guess no one took the no one took the blame for that one. Yeah, no, like, no. Well, we...
1: <laughs> nobody knows who made that call last year. But evidently, that call was made funny how people in
2: the Patriots pipeline think it's okay to just have nine people calling, like, having influence on the offense.
1: Yeah. No, and I love the – last year there was a a point where the score was 17-11, and there's nine minutes left, and the defense gets a three and out, and the Dolphins get the ball back, and they decide, you know what? You know what really, really works after the score is 17-11 and our defense just hands us the ball on the three and out? If we went three and out ourselves, like, that would be a great thing. <laughs> well, that's
2: so, that, well, that's the thing. Like so the other side of this conversation is the 2022 offense because you are different. This is this is as different as I think a Miami Dolphins offense can be from anything I've seen in the last 20 years. The speed is obvious, right? Like that second half comeback against the Ravens doesn't happen if you don't have two guys who are abs, not just track stars. But track stars with hands who can run savvy routes, <clears throat> they're small players, but it doesn't matter. They'll get a, If you give them an inch, they will take a mile. And that's what you did to the Ravens in order to get back into that game. They made a handful of mistakes. Let's call it, let's say their, their coverage units had 15 bad reps in the second half. You guys turned seven or eight of them into the plays that won you a football game. That's the type of game-changing speed that you guys have at your disposal. <sighs> I, with that said, slow starts. <clears throat> I'm interested about this dynamic because when you see an offense that is a Jalen Waddle that has a Tyreek Hill, you're assuming that Chris. Am I wrong in this? This team should be able to find ways to score points quickly. Uh, allegedly, especially well disguised still they haven't showed their game plan for the game they haven't tipped their hand you know everybody goes in there. each week it's a different foot you know we talked in our recap show with Nate this week about how <clears throat> week one our offense was mostly play action and then this week it was legitimate r p o stuff where it was we're not even going to fake and try to sell you the run. We're just going to show you a run, pre-snap, and then let our quarterback make the best decision on the fly. Teams can be a different version of themselves from one week to the next, so early in a game, you don't really know. You haven't seen all the pitches they have in, in their cachet. I just don't understand how you guys have started back-to-back games so slowly. I mean, three first-quarter points through two weeks, uh, the same number of first-half touchdowns as first-half interceptions, to compare the two teams we're going to see this weekend, the Bills are tied for third in first quarter points per game with seven. Miami is currently 24th with 1.5. The Bills are 14th in the NFL in yards per rush attempt. And Miami's 25th. Like what's What's happening here? I thought this offense was supposed to be more effective than the ones we've seen in the past. And it just seems like even though you have these dynamic talents, it's still kind of finding its way.
1: Well, there was a little bit of, there was a few issues as far as finishing, uh, in those first two games uh, against the Ravens. They give up the kickoff return for a touchdown, yeah. right? And then they get the ball They drive it down. Uh, Tyreek Hill slips to a throws into what shouldn't, he shouldn't throw in, into, into that window. <laughs> it was double coverage. It gets tipped. It gets intercepted. They drive down. There's a fumble. Dolphins get the ball on their own three yard line. Then they proceeded to go five plays, 97 yards and a touchdown. And they did it with that stick throw, which that's yep. one, that's one thing I love about this coach. This coach doesn't give a crap and he's, he's daring. They were in 21 personnel. That's another thing you're going to see about the Dolphins. Okay. This, this week, when you watch them play, they play a lot of 21 personnel. That means that they play one tight end, two wide receivers. And you know who those two guys are, a fullback and a running back. Like that's how they like to line up mm-hmm. traditionally. And then every once in a while, you're going to see them in 11 personnel. Their 11 personnel numbers are eye-popping, like their greatest show-on-turf type numbers, okay? Something like 11.9 yards per play, and they ran 29 of them on in 11 personnel against the Ravens. And they got five of the six touchdowns in that personnel grouping. Yeah. But what they did in that play, they were at their own three-yard line. And you would think, okay, let's run it out there, give, us our, uh, give ourselves some room, right? No, they decided to. we're going to come out here in 21 personnel. We're going to invert the formation, meaning we're going to put the our, our two wide receivers in the slot, and we're going to go empty, and we're going to run go routes. We're going to run all nines all the way across, and they're on a stick route. Tua hits Waddle over the middle for what should be an 18-yard gain. He makes one guy miss, and he goes 60 yards on the first play.
2: And that's the, and that's it. So I want my listeners to understand this is the team that we're going to see this weekend. I, it might be the Cause people talk about Matt Stafford and Cooper Cobb. And I, this might be the test. This is the test of what your young secondary without a Trey white with a secondary that might be a little banged up at this point. This is a test of what your young guys are. What your depth and what your defensive coordinator are capable of, because this team will stress everything about your coverage, because just because of the speed. I mean, he's talking about eleven personnel. Well, you're talking about Waddle and Hill being on there, and I'm assuming who's your third wide receiver in those eleven personnel packages.
1: That's another thing about the Dolphins. Uh, you would think, okay, all, they're playing Waddle and Hill the entire game. They're they're not. They're actually
2: well, no, because they want those guys fast.
1: Yeah, <laughs> they so they, they keep subbing them in and out, in and out. So you're gonna walk, you're gonna be watching the game, and you're gonna be like, "Oh, is Tariq hurt? No, he's not hurt. He's just taking a breather." <laughs> so you'll see that that he'll he'll go out, he'll run two plays, and he'll go out for one. The third guy has been traditionally so far Trent Sherfield who's who's been a nice player. He's 6'1", 225 pounds, good speed, but he's a great blocker. And if you watch him play, it's something that they want to do. Uh, Cedric Wilson he took a hit to the ribs on an 11yard catch so he might be iffy for this game on on Sunday if he's not able to go you're gonna see uh Eric azukama which was a star in the in the in the preseason our fourth round pick he'll be active for this game if Cedric Wilson can't play but they like to play a lot of and they like to play uh River craycraft and, and on the goal line because he's mm-hmm. He has a little bit of size and he has really, really good hands. Really good route runner. He's our you know, remember that our wide receiver coach is Wes Walker. River Craycraft is our Wes Walker clone on this team. So you'll see him mostly in the in the red zone. Like in the red zone is when River Craycraft usually makes an appearance, along with the two, the two main guys.
2: Now I know we're getting short on time here. I want to I mean, I want to ask you all about the blocking, but I think that I, both both the Bills and the Dolphins, I think, are two of those teams that put some assets into their offensive line this season, and they're still waiting to see some of the benefit of that. I mean, is that fair? Like, I'll just as we kind of get past this one, just for my own, because I'm looking at this and I'm going to myself, we have defensive tackle issues, but it might not matter so much given the way we, you know, you're watching Monday Night Football and you see Greg Rousseau get that kind of. Tennessee Titans half-ending sack where he's just shaded inside. And they say, okay, we, we're deep enough that we can afford to put somebody else at D-end, put a Greg Russo, put a Boogie Basham, over-center, over-guard, where their speed and size is just going to be a mismatch, be a problem, get up the A-gap quickly, and just get into the quarterback's hip pocket. I think both teams are going to have a little bit of this problem. Do you think that's a fair assessment? <laughs>
1: Uh, one guy I do have a lot of trust in, and he's had two great games, is Teron Armstead. Uh, like, he's been as advertised. Another guy who's been completely as advertised was Connor Williams. Okay. He's had two very, very, very good games at center. And Greg Little has had very, very quiet and effective two games. Has not allowed a sack, has a lot of one pressure. He's been pretty good. Oddly enough, the guys that were bad week one were our two guards. One of them is Robert Hunt, who's supposed to be a Pro Bowler this year, <laughs> and Liam Eichenberg. But if you watch the film from that second game, both guys played absolutely very, very well, uh, except for a couple of reps where, especially on the on the bomb to Tyreek, the second bomb to Tyreek, uh, Liam Eikenberg just lets a defensive tackle, which is Calais Campbell, which is usually a bad idea, run right in on, on Tua. And if you notice, Tua's throwing the bomb, and he's getting killed by by Elias Campbell <laughs> simultaneously, so Liam Eichenberg still still seems like a guy that could use some work. But the offensive line did have a good game against the Ravens. I can't lie, and I do trust our left tackle. Mm-hmm. Like it's, like today on ESPN, they were talking about Von Miller versus Teron Armstead is the mat is the marquee matchup of the weekend. Like I I don't mind it. I you know we have a pretty good guy against a pretty good guy. You no, know, that's going to be a lot of
2: fun for people who like to watch film. That matchup's going to be fun to rewatch on Monday. Yeah, it's hopefully be more so for our guys than yours.
1: It's it's an elite player versus an elite player. Yes, you know? it's not one of those where you say, "Oh my God," you know, we got to face Von Miller and we got Austin Jackson out there. No, it's we got to face Von Miller and oh, oh my God, what are we going to do? Well, I'll, we're going to put a guy who we're paying eighteen million dollars a year and who's a six time Pro Bowler on him. Uh, now so, I'll get called a
2: shill if i don't bring this up right cuz this is where this whole conversation starts and dies about what your offense is before we let you go tua is he the first quarter slouch that we've seen or is he the second half comeback kid that i i mean just today you retweeted an article called your brain is designed to distrust tua let a neuro specialist teach you why <laughs> cuz you're out there trying to educate the masses as to why tua disinformation you know the tua non cult like Listen, there's maybe these are the reasons you still don't like that guy. Well, I'm telling you, a week after two slow starts and having to rally the team late, I got to ask you, which one of these quarterbacks is he and why should I feel threatened by him? Because here's what I see. In a week when he goes out there and he breaks Dan Marino's single game yardage record 469, uh, he's what? Now he's got six touchdowns to go with two interceptions. Of his four sixty nine two hundred and twenty three, those were yards after the catch created by the wide receivers. Good for him for making the throws. Obviously, I'm not. Uh, again, you make the plays. We can't nerd this up too much. You and I, you yourself, got into it with Greg Thompson today from Cover <laughs> on Twitter, and I'm sure thereafter, in a long conversation of you, when you try to get too smart and too cute about football, at a certain point, it comes back to just bites in the ass. You look dumb. I do look at this though for comparison's sake. Week one, or week two against the Titans, Josh Allen throws for 317. 99 of it's after the catch. 240 air yards for Tua week one or week two versus 218 for Josh. But you look at the way that people are expected to look at Tua now because he hit this obscene number and you go, well, no, he has those elite talents that were built to do this thing. He's just driving the car. As it was intended to be driven. It would be like if you gave, like in my opinion, being a prick, if you gave me the keys to a Ferrari and I kept it on the road, I don't think I deserve a round of applause for that. I think it's just I did the thing. Well, that's what this team was built to do, which was we are going to be highly dangerous on short, accurate throws that these wide receivers can then create on their own after the fact. So... When people talk about how elite he is, my thing is, well, if you don't, if you disrupt him or you don't let him get to those spots, he can't hurt you that way. The Ravens allowed that to happen, and you watch them pay the price for it. I'm not scared. Why should I be? Explain it to me like I'm five.
1: <laughs> okay. Are you aware of, of the stat air yards? Yes. Do you know who leads the NFL in air yards after two weeks? Who? Tua Tungvalu with 430. Do you know who's second? Who? Josh Allen with 429. Yeah, so got you by a yard. <laughs> okay, uh, they're pushing the ball. They're pushing the ball downfield. And one thing that Mike McDaniel explained, and I thought was a brilliant explanation. And I kind of knew that that was where he was leaning. Uh, they they had a big conversion. They, they had several. First of all, they converted a third and thirteen against nine in coverage. Okay, <sighs> from the from the thirteen yard line when he threw that ball to Mike Geseki. They decided because the Ravens decided, okay, we're gonna start blitzing them, and then Tua started beating them, and then decided, okay, now we're gonna start playing coverage, and then Tua kept beating them. One thing that Mike McDaniel explained because it was asked of him, they had another third and eleven that they converted on an out route, and they asked them, uh they asked him at his pressure. Why did you? Why does this team throw so few out routes? It's only three out routes, and he says, well, you th- when you throw an out route, you're cutting the the amount of field that your receiver can run in. So, because they only have the sideline, so we felt that to get those big conversions, we had to throw the outright because that's because that's what was open to us. Other than that, they're going to throw the ball in space. They're going to try to create space, and they're going to try to get these guys out in space. And then they're going to try to use their running back, their running game, to try to set up their play action passes, which then they go deep with Mm because they're just not going to line up. They although they did once against the. The Ravens—they're not going to line up in the shotgun and just throw a deep. They're going to try to set up the deep shot with their motion, their 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 play calls, the the way that they set up their their play calls in on a drive, and then it's always about down the distance and which hash they are they are at. So you know, Mike McDaniel is actually you know coaching offense the way I always expected it to be coached, not the way you know some coaches, namely like Brian Flores. Who wants it? And he always used to talk about this all the time about complementary football. He wanted the offense to be called in a way that was complementary to his defense. That's not the case anymore here. Like, and you know, I really do believe that they hit huge on this coach
3: Mm. because
1: he actually says the 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 quiet part out loud. (laughs) He was asked week one. He was asked week one, okay, you know, you're trying to get this off. You're an offensive guy, and he goes, "No, this this team belongs to the defense until we prove otherwise." And they asked him after this past week, and he goes, "One game is not enough to say that we're an offensive team. We're still carried by our defense, and we're gonna have to prove ourselves." He's telling the truth. So, if you watch this offense and you watch how it's set up, you can't help but be excited.
3: Al Vartiaga, you can find him on Twitter. For his personal account, where he goes after Greg Thompson and Nate Geary at ALF underscore Arteaga. And then they got the three yards per carry account for his podcast, the number
2: three yards per carry. What I love, well, and he also has a yard work series on YouTube where he does film breakdowns, which are incredible. Go check them out. But what I will say that whole... Like, the the Twitter beef that Elf has somehow managed to manifest between the time we started having him on as our, like, Dolphins guest last year and today has been incredible.
3: Yeah. the t- Earlier today, I was... So, like, you know, I had to work at 7 a.m. Or I got off of work at 7 a.m. Took a nap. I wake up 12.15. I turn on the grill, throw on a couple of hot dogs... And then I grab my phone, and then I go to the I go to the drop down on on my phone because I see oh we got some we got two DMs and then uh, some Twitter notifications and I just scroll the top down from you know from the clock and it's just like DM Al Fartiaga DM Greg Thompson, you know and then notifications from. Greg and Alf in a Twitter beef. I'm like, oh my god, what happened here?
2: This is the best, <laughs> though, isn't it? Yeah, because this is how you know you've cultivated smart people <laughs> that they're smart enough to seek each other out there through the ether of the internet and get into a cra- like. It's like putting two crawfish in a giant tank; they will inevitably find each other and fight.
3: Yeah, that's a, <laughs> it's also the only problem with like with getting into like a Twitter debate because it's just words. And I don't. Everybody's everybody's brain is programmed to read everyone's tweet as disrespect, (laughs) and not you know like what we just did earlier, referencing that forty year old virgin.
2: Well, I need you guys to know if I tweet at you and it seems disrespectful,
3: probably is know that I mean it disrespectful.
2: Yeah, but you don't know. You can't
3: read like oh no, we're having a healthy discussion about.
2: Well, I don't and know I think, what was I healthy think, about this, Chris. I think, uh, I think Greg, Greg tweeted. Greg tweeted, there was two plus Micah Hyde-Jordan-Poyer receptions during the comeback, and Elf replied, you are smoking rocks.
3: <laughs>
2: I don't know if that's healthy debate, but it's funny. Yeah. I love, and I love the conversation that came out of it. And I love the fact that we know both of these guys. And I like the fact that, Chris, isn't this like a sign like, it's almost like when you look around, like, like, think about this during COVID during COVID human beings were shoved inside. Yeah. And all of a sudden the canals in Venice looked like the ocean again because there's no pollution in them for a couple, for, for a couple of weeks. And they were like, look, the earth is healing. Isn't Twitter beef between two guys who have never even heard each other's names before. Hilarious that we both know yeah. as friends. Doesn't that illustrate that this rivalry is healing? Like, we're getting back to where we should be. Where yeah. people are, you're an analyst for this team? Yeah, well, I do this. And we hate each other, even though we don't know each other. I love it. And so, with that, it's time to talk about tonight's keys to victory. Wow, that's a lot of keys. <clears> you're the keychain, more powerful than man. Now, one of the first ones I want to go over is pressure for four quarters. We talked earlier about how the Bills would have to they would have to pass rush against Tennessee differently going into that game. Yep. Because of the threat that Derrick Henry represents. And sure enough, their spacing was more conservative in order to keep the Titans one-dimensional and just kind of hold their offense in check, which they did with the plomb. In this game, the Bills are probably gonna be a little bit understaffed, right? On defense. And they will desperately need our pass rush to get its job done and to keep the speed of Waddle and Hill from eating them up. I look at their offensive line. Liam Eikenberg. Elf casually mentioned earlier that he had some struggles. Uh, This last week hit an 18 blocking grade by PFF. Six pressures, four hurries, and three hits allowed. Connor Williams, who he said was good, the only reason he thought that was good is because he hasn't seen good center play in a long time. He had a 50 grade, three pressures, and three hurries allowed. Mitch Morse? Chris, Mitch Morse didn't allow a sack for how long? I don't even know. Connor Williams is out here almost getting to a killed. Greg Little, our favorite Greg Little. Russ Brown's favorite Greg Little. Four pressures, three hits. Elf talked about that, and he said it was a good game. He said it was a good game. I'm sorry. I guess I have a higher standard for what good is. Now, the injury of our, injuries of our team are going to be a stumbling block for sure, but there are things the Bills can do in order to pressure Tua and force mistakes and quick decisions that can keep them from being able to tee off on our secondary the way they did the Ravens in the second half last week. First of all, go back to the Rams game. Get creative with your stunts and your pass rush angles. Also, (laughs) the reason this is important is because when kept clean and not blitzed, Tua has 602 yards, six touchdowns, and a 75% completion percentage on the season. When blitzed? and you speed up his processing a little bit, when you show blitz and then you send it, those figures drop to 67% completion, 219 in one touchdown. And if the pressure actually gets home, 57%, 137 and no touchdowns, it's going to play a crucial role in this game. Whether or not we can get to Tua early And often and then sustain it for four quarters because all those yards after the catch that Tua generated late in the game that saved his team's ass. That can't happen if he's forced to consistently check down and is always getting moved off his spot by Bill's pass rushers. Does that make sense? Makes sense. Team health is going to be another key. And this one sucks because no one can do anything about it. There's nothing that the team can tangibly do about it. We are the walking wounded, regardless of how healthy we've been in years past. Our injury report is littered with a veritable who's who of our roster. I mean, we need a bye week. (laughs) Defensive tackle one, defensive tackle three, defensive tackle four, cornerback one, weak side linebacker one, free safety one. Wide receiver two, all of them carry some kind of designation, whether it's limited, whether it's did not participate. That's an incredible number of starters, snaps vacated, right off the jump. And that bodes horribly for a team that's trying to rein in the pure speed of Miami. The guys that I think who actually, like, now here's, what I did was I went over to com took a look at his synopsis of all of today's injury report that just got released later this afternoon. Uh, defensive tackle Jordan Phillips and cornerback Dane Jackson were the only two that he said, he goes, these are the guys that I would be surprised if they play. Everyone else, he explained why he thought, whatever the ailments were, they're manageable and they at least have a decent shot to play. If you want to know why and more info as to why, we should be cost cautiously, I'll say. Optimistic about the team health ahead of Sunday. Go check out his work over at bangedupbills.com. Now he's pretty spot on, isn't he? Kyle's a man. I was texting him from the stadium when all that stuff was going down. Kyle texted me the other day and helped me fix my shoulder. Yeah. So, Chris, I'm a big dumb animal. You are. I have a shoulder impingement. Yeah, me too. Well, part of it's I've got labrum damage and a torn rotator cuff, but I keep lifting. So the other day, I aggravated the shit out of it. I texted Kyle. I was like, hey, here's... Was it a
3: dumbbell or your kid?
2: (laughs) No, what it was, is if it was dumbbells, it would have been fine. I did a flat bar, like the Olympic bar, with weight on it.
3: all right. What are you, Ken Patera?
2: (laughs) I don't even know that reference.
3: He is a uh, Olympic weightlifter from the uh, 80s who went on to have a wonderful career in
2: the WWF. God, I hate you. See, you sneak this shit into every. Kyle helped diagnose and then help fix my shoulder via text. Pretty impressive. That's how good Kyle is. (laughs) So go to bangedupbills.com. Check out his injury reports. I think the biggest thing is the secondary and tertiary receiving threats for the Buffalo Bills. Like, Because, let's face it, if we're going to win this game, it's going to be because we do what we've done to every team. We put them on roller skates and have them fighting to try to keep pace with us. Stephon Diggs is having a prolific start to the NFL season, and I expect that the Dolphins might have noticed that. They're going to put all hands on deck trying to stop him from setting them on fire the way he did uh, Tennessee, the way he did Jalen Ramsey. But there's going to be room in that, if you listen to any of the statistics and any of the things we talked about tonight with Elf, for our second, third, fourth options to make plays if they execute well and can use the RPO elements of our offense that we saw against Tennessee and marry those two games game plans up against this defense you look at safety Eric Rowe when I mentioned it earlier it wasn't hyperbole he was abused by Mark Andrews seven targets six catches 66 yards and three first downs every time they tried to put a safety on Mark Andrews now Dawson Knox isn't Mark Andrews but Chris he's pretty good right yeah yeah he also accounted for six first downs more than any other Baltimore pass catcher. So the reality is, is that if they think you can throw the ball, they'll sit their safeties back and play a three-safety set and put one over your tight end. Eric Rowe can be beaten by big, physical receivers. That's a problem for them. Rowe could be at, he's probably at the end of his career rope. And if there was ever a get-right game, because Dawson Knox... If you drafted him in fantasy and started him, you're probably losing most of your games. Or at least, you're not impressed. I won this week. But you're not happy about it, are you? No. So with that in mind, this could be a get-right game for Dawson Knox. If they choose to put safeties on him. Then you look at guys like Cross and Needham against McKenzie and Crowder. Those two guys have been just giving up catches left and right. In the middle of this defense, they have no... I don't know. They just don't have the presence they used to. I don't know if that's, I don't know what it's a presence of. I don't know what it means. Which running back, Chris, becomes a receiving threat in this game? Jesus. I don't know.
1: For the I'd Dolphin? put my
2: money on, I'd, for the Bills, I'd put my money on Singletary. Yeah, you know what we didn't talk about with Nate when he was here? Hmm. Look at that Seagram's bet in the middle. Cook more snaps. Oh yeah, no, it's not. It, listen, it's not trending his way. Yeah,
3: well, because well, he fumbled his first ever snap. But like, when are we gonna get like Cook involved when we're not blowing people out? I thought I thought he was supposed to be like a pass catching back.
2: You you hope that you hope that somebody in the running back stable grabs a hold of that job and just takes it. One of those three guys. All second and third round draft picks. Somebody's got to step up. It'll be interesting to see who... I, what do you think? Seagram's back for this game. Which running back has more yardage? All-purpose yards. All-purpose yards?
3: Does... <laughs> does Josh Allen count as a runner? <laughs> or just strictly by position...
2: I think that this is Devin Devin Singletary's job to lose. It is. Do you think anybody else in this game in particular might have an advantage? Given how preoccupied... The way way that Zach Moss has
3: played so far this season, I feel like this could be a coming out party for James Cook. Because how many many reps is Zach Moss going to get if he's going to put out... Stats like he did against the Titans, like it's by like the the third to third fourth fifth carry he gets, it, they're gonna go all right. Cook, get in there and don't right. fumble.
2: Get in there, just don't drop the ball.
3: Yeah, I feel like it has a chance of being a James Cook breakout game because I don't th- like I think Moss as a
2: backup is on a short lease leash to get jumped. I can't wait to see this play out. We need this. Bills, Chris, to the cover, since you're the Schwab here, you're a terrible gambler. And, uh, I am. I finally won one on
3: Monday. I did the
2: over. Folks, we didn't even do the bad beat segment. Chris is lost my- his inaugural bet of the football season, betting week zero of college football. New Mexico State was a 37 point favorite. That was week one. Week one. 37-point favorite, and he's telling me all the ways they can't lose. They lost 38 <laughs> nothing. Yeah. I, you're a bad beat waiting to happen, sir.
3: It was, the, it was the right call because they ran the ball the whole time, and they were snapping the ball as the play clock went to zero. So it's like, all right, you're going to run the ball, run the clock. This is the right play, and all I needed was new Mexico. Well, so
2: do you want to take the over or under?
3: I think the bills are going to cover the five and a half that okay. it's currently sitting at. All right. You're finally on board with this. I like this. This will probably be at any, this will probably be, I'd put it at 10. I think we're going to
2: win by 10. Look at you. Guys, I can't wait to see it play out. I can't wait to come back here and gloat about it. But for tonight, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Kruger. That's Al Fartiaga. And this has been your Rockpile Report.